Amen. It's a great joy to be here. 15 months is a long time. Nobody would have thought that, but it's good to be here and to share fellowship with you and to see your eyes. Praise the Lord. If you have a Bible this morning, turn to Matthew 16 and verse 13. Matthew 16, verse 13. When Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Who do men say that I am? The Son of Man. And so they said, Some say John the Baptist, some Elijah, and others Jeremiah, one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered and said, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus answered and said to them, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father is in heaven. And I say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. I'll give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. In verse 18 it says, I will build my church and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. I will build my church and COVID-19, 20, 21, 23, whatever, shall not prevail against it. I don't know about you, I love the Bible teaching of church. The ecclesia is the Greek word, the called out ones, the special ones, the chosen ones of God. That's who we are. That's who we are. And when you study the New Testament, you get these different uh, illustrations of church. You get the church is a flock, a flock of sheep, and Jesus is the shepherd. He's the good shepherd, the great shepherd, the chief shepherd. We're, we're described as a household of faith. We're, we're family. And Jesus is the older brother. We're described as a vine. Jesus said, I am the vine. You are the branches. So all these different ideas of church. But the three main ones are the church is a body, a building, and a bride. The church is a body. Christ is the head of the body. I love it what it says in 1 Corinthians 12 in verse 13. It says, by one spirit are you all baptized into one body. What this is referring to is when we became Christians, one of the actions of the Holy Spirit was to take us and to immerse us into the body of Christ. You didn't have to earn your way in. You didn't have to go through certain procedures or rituals to get in. No, when you give your life to Christ and you ask Christ to be saved, you say, Lord, forgive my sin. Come into my heart. The Holy Spirit took you and immersed you and made you part of his body, the church. Praise the Lord. If you're listening online today and you're not a Christian, all you got to do is call upon the Lord and he can save you. And he'll make you part of his church, his family. And as part of his church, where we're members, we're, we're part of a body. And like any healthy body, every part needs to be working and do its part and do its share 
for that body to be effective. The church is a body. The church is a, a building. It says in, and Christ is the chief cornerstone. It says in 1 Peter and chapter 2 and verse 4 and 5, it says, coming to him as Jesus, as to a living stone, rejected indeed by men, but chosen by God and precious. You also as living stones are being built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Wow, we're living stones. I'm glad about that. It doesn't say you are living bricks. Because bricks are all the same. You know, that would be very cultish to be called a brick. No, we're living stones. We're all different. Aren't you glad we're all different? I mean, you might want to be like me, but no, you don't. <laughs> we're, we're stones, living stones, different shapes, different sizes, being built together for a habitation of God by His Spirit, says Ephesians 2. Praise the Lord. And every stone is important. You might say, I'm only a little stone, Pastor Rob. I, I, I'm surely not important. You're very important. If you see a dry stone wall, you know that you've got the big rocks, the big stones. But you need the little stone to stop the big rock from rocking. From the big rock, because if it starts to move, you're in trouble. And you need a little stone. It's a little stone that stopped it from rocking. Everyone is important in the church of Jesus Christ. Everyone. No one is too small, too insignificant. Everyone is important. Praise the Lord. You know, in, in 2 Corinthians 7, we get an illustration of this. The great apostle Paul, I mean, wow, he writes most of the New Testament. He plants church after church after church. He's amazing. But it says in 2 Corinthians 7 that he'd been through a rough time and he, he says, uh, he talks about experiencing fears, fightings without, fears within. And then he goes on and says, nevertheless, God who comforts the downcast. Wow. The Apostle Paul is admitting to the fact he feels low, he's depressed, he's down. I don't know about you, I find that comforting in itself. That hey, you know, because we all go through moments. Well, even Paul went through moments. But listen, this is what it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 7 and verse 5. It says, nevertheless... God, who comforts the downcast, comforted us by the coming of Titus. At that moment, Titus is just a, a new Christian, a beginner, if you like, a, a young leader. A little stone, but the little stone comes and supports the big stone and encourages the big stone. We need one another. Everyone is needed in the church of Jesus Christ. Then another uh, description of the church is the bride. The bride. And Jesus is the bridegroom. He's the heart of his church. In, in Revelation chapter 21, it says, Now I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and also is no more sea. Then I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. The church is a bride. And it goes on describing that bride. We won't read it all for time's sake, but verse 19, 
It says the foundations of the wall of the city were adorned with all kinds of precious stones. The first foundation was jasper, the second sapphire, the third chalcedony, the fourth emerald, the fifth sardonyx, the sixth sardius, the seventh chrysolite, the eighth bell, the ninth topaz, the tenth chrysoprase, the eleventh jacinth, and the twelfth amethyst. Wow. All kind of precious jewels built into the foundation of this, this city that's described as the bride of Christ. And you say, what are these jewels? Who are these jewels? Well, the answer to that question is found in the last book of the Old Testament, Malachi, in chapter 3 and verse 17. It talks about the coming again of the Lord Jesus. <clears throat> and it says, on that day when he comes again, he will make up his jewels. In other words, you and I are the jewels. We're precious to the Lord. I was going to say to you, say to the person next to you, but it's a bit difficult. You're precious. You're a jewel. You have to phone him up when you get home. But we're precious, every one of us. And I love it. Because you've got all these different jewels, different facets, different colors, the greens, the, the reds, the blues, the, 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 the yellows, the, the diamond clear crystal colors. You've got all these things. And when the glory of God shines upon the jewels, what the jewels do, each one reflects back glory. With all its different facet and color, it reflects it back to the Lord himself. And I think, wow, what a beautiful picture of the church at worship. You know, as you worship this morning, I know it's greatly restricted, but how the Lord was just seeing, he saw an emerald over there and a ruby over there, and he saw an amethyst down in the middle, and he saw, wow, and a diamond, and he saw, oh, wow, beautiful, a topaz, and so on and so on. Hallelujah. This worship, and every jewel is important. If a jewel is missing, like if a jewel is missing from a ring, it leaves a great black hole. Wow, everyone is important. The worship of all together is important. And so we have these different pictures of church, and it's exciting, and it's beautiful, and we're the church. And then I love it. It says, the Lord says, I will build my church. He didn't say, I will build a church. He didn't say, in fact, I will build the church. He said, I will build my church. The Lord loves his church. He's one with his church. He's part of his church. He has not forsaken us. He's not left us. He's here this morning. He's among us. He's with us. That's his very nature. You know, in Acts chapter 8, we read that persecution broke out in the early church and the people were spread everywhere. And then in chapter 9, it talks about one of those persecutors this is, his name was Saul, who becomes the Apostle Paul, of course. And it says in chapter 9, Then Saul, still breathing out threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked letters from him so, to go to the synagogues of Damascus, so that he, if he found any who were of the way, whether men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. It gives you a feel of the, the animosity that that was against the church. Verse 3, as he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly a light shone around him from heaven, and he fell to the ground, and I heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, 
Why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? Then the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. It is hard for you to kick against the goats or kick against the pricks. Wow. In as far as we know, Saul never did anything to Jesus when Jesus was walking on earth. There's no record of Saul being present at those trial, the trial of Jesus or present at the cross. But he's certainly attacking the church. And when you attack the church, Jesus says, why are you persecuting me? I am Jesus. Why are you persecuting me? When you hurt the church, you hurt Jesus. He is one with his church. Hallelujah. You know, if you've been following the Bible study series I've been doing, you would have know recently I did a series on the book of Revelation. The book of Revelation. Now, some people look at the book of Revelation, they go looking for all the, the sort of detailed stuff, the mark of the beast, all that sort of stuff. But the book of Revelation is actually, it's a book written to the church at that time. In, it's obviously written benefits us all. All scripture is given by inspiration of God. But it's written to the church who are going through intense persecution. A time under Emperor Nero when, when Christians were, were being arrested, Christians were losing their jobs, Christians were losing their homes, Christians were being thrown into prison, Christians were going into the great amphitheaters and facing gladiators, facing lions, facing wild beasts. It was a horrible time. People were being betrayed and and so on. All kinds of terrible things are happening. But the Lord feels for his church. And he, and he gives a vision to John, who himself is on the Isle of Patmos, because he's been arrested, and he's there. This old man is working in a stone quarry. And the Lord gives him a vision to encourage the church. The Lord feels for his church. And if you read the book of Revelation, it's one, it's a revelation of Jesus. And two, it says the Lamb wins. There's a new heavens and a new earth. Oh, when you read it like that, you see how the Lord is encouraging his people. He says, I am with you. I am for you. I will not leave you nor forsake you. Yes, you go through some tough stuff. But hey, we win. We come out on top. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. That's the way to read the book of Revelation. You get a real blessing then. Praise the Lord. The Lord says, I'm with you. And we see that in chapter 1 of the book of Revelation. It talks about, because John, John is given a vision of the Lord Jesus. And it says in, in Revelation chapter 1, verse 12, I turned to see the voice that spoke with me. And having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. They're the type of the church, of seven local churches in particular. And in the midst of the seven lampstands, one like the Son of Man. Oh, in the midst of his church, in the midst of the golden lampstands, in the midst of the local churches, in the midst of the church this morning, is the Lord Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Ah, oh, be encouraged by that. Yes, the Lord says, I will build my church and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. Wow, the gates of Hades, gates of hell. How do you imagine that? Do you imagine some kind of sinister-looking medieval kind of fortress coming to, to attack? You know, I'm going to get you. 
that how you see it? Or do you see the church sort of, sort of trying to knock down some, some great gate that won't give way, that's impregnable, and just keeps futilely knocking, knocking, knocking? How do you see it? Well, both those, if you see it either of those ways, that's wrong. Read it again. It says, I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. In other words, the church is smashing down the gates of hell. Oh, look at it afresh. The church, the gates of hell shall not prevail. They're going to give way. They're going to be broken down. They're going to be smashed by the church. Praise the Lord. Oh, you know, we might lose a couple of battles, but we won't lose the war. We might face some resistance. There might be a few kickbacks, but hey, we're on the winning side. We smash the gates down. Satan shall be crushed underfoot, says the word of God. But the gates of hell. I was fascinated by this thought of gates. I thought, is there something more that the word is trying to teach me about gates? Then I began to look in the Old Testament, and it's got a lot to say about gates. In Proverbs 31, for example, Proverbs 31 is the chapter about the, the super wife. I could say the chapter about my wife, but she's not here. I have to sit next time. <laughs> but, you know, it's verse 23 talks about her husband, you know, why she's doing all these amazing things you read about. Verse 23, her husband is known in the gates when he sits among the elders of the land. He's known in the gates when he sits with the elders. In the book of Ruth, in chapter 4, Boaz, you know, he's, he wants to become the kinsman redeemer for the widow Ruth the Moabites, that she might regain her land, and, but there's a bit of an obstacle. There's another person, and so he has to go. Where does he go? To the gates. In Ruth chapter 4, verse 1 and 2, Boaz goes to the gates. Who to meet with? The elders at the gates. In Genesis 22, verse 15 and 18, it says that when Abraham wanted to buy a burial plot to bury his wife Sarah, he went to the sons of Heth, where did he meet them? At the gates. He met the elders, the sons of Heth, at the gates. In Genesis 20, in, in, sorry, in, in um, Deuteronomy 22 and verse 15, it says, if you have an issue, if you have a problem, go to the elders at the gates. In Lamentations 5.14, Jeremiah is lamenting that Jerusalem has fallen. And he says, the elders have ceased gathering in the gate. And so when you look at the word gate in the Old Testament, it's obviously probably two sets of gates with a large, thick wall. And in between the gates is where the elders would come together and counsel together and make decisions together on behalf of the city. Wow. Now, when I understand that, I can now apply it to our text. I will build my church and the gates of Hades, the very councils of the principalities and powers of darkness, 
shall not prevail against it. And this begins to make a lot of sense because in Ephesians 6, it tells us that in spiritual warfare, it says in verse 10 to 12, Finally, my brothers, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles, the counsels, the thoughts, the accusations of the devil. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against rulers of the darkness of this age, against the spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. In 2 Corinthians chapter 10, it says, For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments, and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. Do you see this? You're following this. Wow. When we think of gates, we think of something, you know, solid and, and you know, rather made of iron or wood or something. But actually, when you study the Bible, it's talking about the councils, all these, these accusatory thoughts and things of the devil. And it says, hey, I will build my church and the councils of hell shall not, shall not prevail against it. You've heard me say often in the past, we have amazing weapons to just bash down those councils made in those demonic gates. We have amazing weapons. We have the word of God. We have the name of Jesus. And we have the blood of Jesus. Hallelujah. Oh, the word Jesus says when he was tempted in the wilderness, it is written. Oh, and the enemy has to leave. Oh, the blood of Jesus. It says in Revelation uh, 12 verse 11 they overcame him the accuser that is by the blood of the lamb the blood that washes us from all sin so when the enemy accuses I am washed in the blood praise the Lord for the blood and all the name of Jesus God's given him a name which is by every other name that the name of Jesus every knee shall bow these are our weapons. And as we come before God with, with prayer and with praise and, and proclaim the word and the name and the blood, then we can pull down those strongholds of darkness. Those captive, take captive those thoughts. Yes, the Lord says, I will build my church and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. Oh, this morning... And what he says for the church, he says for us as individuals, whatever you're going through, whatever challenges you, you're facing and have been facing, and certainly there have been lots of those in the 15 months since I last saw you, but know this, the Lord says, you're part of my church. I am with you. I will not leave you. I will not forsake you. And when those accusations and doubts and fears and all that stuff comes, hey, remember my word. Remember my name. Remember the power of my blood. Because I will build my church and the councils of hell shall not prevail against it. Father, just bless your word to every heart, to every person. For those who've been struggling, those who've been going through those moments of doubt and fear and loneliness and all those battles, Lord, let them see this morning, you are with them. You are for them. 
You will not leave them nor forsake them. You love your church so much. You love each one of us so much. And thank you we have the victory through Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen. Amen. 